you, don't understand you, but I respect you. And how many just go for it? Three minutes and a cloud of dust. Yeah, woo. And you're the loud ones. Of course you are. So, yeah. And so, you know, we have different traditions, but one of the things that, that Laura and I both love when it comes to, to Christmas, and especially when we sit down and we open our gifts, is we always take the time to, to gather together, to sit down, and before we ever open a present, we open the Word of God to Luke chapter 2, uh, typically, and we read together the Christmas story. And um, it, it's a special time when we do that. We just read the story about the greatest gift that was ever given. Before we receive a gift, we read about the greatest gift that we've already received. And um, as we were thinking about that, I was thinking about even the plans that we're making as we're gathering together to get, as a family. I was thinking about how we were going to do that and what it would look like. And I was reflecting on the Christmas story. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, if this question has ever popped into your mind about like, who was the very first person to ever read the Christmas story? I mean, wouldn't that be incredible to be the very first person to ever read this story? Story about, you know, to sit down and read about this census that it was taken, about how Mary and Joseph had to travel to Bethlehem, about how there was no room for them to stay, so they wind up in a, in a stable, and Mary's pregnant, and she's ready to give birth, and so she gives birth in this stable, and how incredible it must have been to be the very first one to read those words. I don't know if you've ever thought about who was the first one, to read this incredible story. Well, if you go to Luke chapter 1, he actually tells us. He says, uh, in fact, let's just look at Luke chapter 1, verse 1. He says this. He says, many have undertaken to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, to the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So there it is. The very first person to ever read the Christmas story was a man by the name of Theophilus. Luke calls him the most excellent Theophilus or Most Honorable Theophilus. The, the title, Most Excellent, Most Honorable, depending on which translation you read it from, but it is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a title that Luke actually uses three other times in his writing. And we know that every other time that he uses it, it's in reference to a high-ranking Roman official. And so even though we don't know a whole lot about this guy Theophilus, we can make the assumption that because Luke uses this title that he uses in other places, that very likely Theophilus is a high-ranking government official. And apparently, Theophilus has heard about Jesus. He, he's heard talk about Jesus. He's heard stories about Jesus. And it's piqued his interest, and he wants to know more. He wants to know more about who Jesus is. He wants to know more about what he did. And so Luke says, he says, hey, what I decided to do is to write an account for you. 
Now, this, this is after Luke has done his own investigation. We need to understand that Luke never met Jesus personally. He actually writes this about 50 years after the resurrection. Luke was a, a Greek physician who himself, he had heard about Jesus, most likely from Paul. And, and being an intellectual, Luke decides to investigate this whole thing. He, he interviews people who knew Jesus. He talks to people who had talked to Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who were eyewitnesses to the miraculous events that Jesus did. He, he talked to people who were there and saw Jesus crucified, who, who saw them take Jesus down from the cross and put him in the tomb and then later saw Jesus alive again, saw the wounds in his hands and his feet and his side. And then watched him ascend up into heaven. And Luke says, I investigated all of it. Every single thing. And as a result of my investigation, not only was Luke convinced, but he says, I decided to write it down. And to give an outline of how Jesus walked and talked and lived and died and lived again. And, and, and this letter that Luke writes, he writes with a specific purpose in mind, which he discloses in verse 4. He says, I've decided to write this orderly account for you. Why? So that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. That, that, that word certainty is a, a Greek word. Asphelia. It's a word that means secure. It means un unshakable or immovable. And so what Luke is saying here is, he says, I'm writing this down for you so that you can be certain in your faith, secure in your faith. I want you to have a faith that is unshakable and immovable. I want you to have this unshakable certainty of who Jesus really is. There, there's an incredible power in certainty, isn't there? There's a power when you are confident in what God's word says. And there's a power that exists in you when you live out of that certainty, out of that confidence, out of that unshakableness. If that's a word, it is now. Unshakableness. So some people think that, that certainty and faith are kind of like at opposite ends of the, the spectrum. You know, that, that we, we, we are to live by faith. And, and living by faith, you know, when we do that, there's just a, a, a level of uncertainness that goes along with that. I want you to know that that is not true. In fact, it's unbiblical. Luke says, as he wrote this to Theophilus, he says, the whole reason I'm writing this to you is so that you can be certain. I want you to have certainty. It's important to be certain. This is the beauty of Scripture. It's the beauty of God's Word that has been given to us. It's, it's the beauty of the fact, and I love the fact, that God, by the Holy Spirit, inspires the writers of Scripture to um, give an account which is intended to give us certainty. Why? So that we can have an unshakable, immovable faith. 
so, so that when the storms of life come, and when there are things that we may not understand that take place in our lives, and we, we, may, not, we may not get all that we're going through in the moment, there may be a whole bunch of unknowns, but what we can know is who God is. What we can know is how much God loves us. What we can know is that he is with us. And what we can know is that he has the power to help us get through whatever it is that we may be going through. We can have certainty of those things. And so Luke says, he says, hey, I've decided to write this orderly account for you so that you can be certain. So the question is, how does Theophilus access the certainty that Luke wants to give to him? It's got to take the time to read it, right? It came to him as a letter. And so in order for Theophilus to have certainty, he's got to sit down and he's actually got to read what Luke wrote. He's got to discover it. He's got to read it. He's got to get it into his heart and into his mind. Listen, I am convinced this morning that God wants us to have the same certainty that he wanted Theophilus to have. He wants us to have an unshakable faith in who he is. He wants us to have an immovable belief in how much he loves us. He wants us to, to just trust with all of our hearts and have a certainty in the plans that he has for our lives. But the only way we can have that certainty is if we're willing to commit ourselves to sit down and consume and digest his word. That's how we get the certainty. In fact, I'm convinced that one of the most important things that you can do as we, you know, we, we look beyond Christmas, then all of a sudden we're coming to the close of 2023. And, and I'm convinced that the most important thing that you can do in 2024 is to commit yourself to daily spending time in God's Word. This is why we give away free Bibles. I mean, over the past couple of years, we've given away hundreds and hundreds of Bibles. And the reason why is because we want everybody to have access personally to God's Word. We, we want you to be certain who He is and how much He loves you and the plans He has for your life. And so if, you, if you're here this morning, by the way, and you don't have a Bible, we want you to have one. After the service, stop by the You Belong Here wall and Pastor Brad will make sure that you get a Bible. Because we want you to have one of your own. If you have one that you don't understand, if you're reading it and it's all these and thous and thuses and you're not there yet and you're like, I have no idea what they're talking about, we'll get you one that you can understand. But we want you to have your own Bible because we want you to have the certainty that God loves you, that he cares for you, that he has a plan for your life, that he's with you, that he's for you. Getting the word in us is so important. I mean, this is the reason why every month we give you a little guide. We call it a soap guide. But really what it is, it's just a reading guide. Because a lot of times people, one of the big questions people ask me when they first come to Jesus and they grab the Bible, is like, where do I begin? What do I read? And a lot of people just, I mean, the Bible is an interesting book in that it's a collection of books. And so a lot of people begin in the beginning like you would normally do in a book which coincidentally begins with in the beginning. And so it makes sense to start there, right? And, and so they read through Genesis and Exodus and get to Leviticus and Numbers and go like, what in the world am I reading here? 
And so we, we, we want to give you this soap guide that will help you. It's little snippets of Scripture, really easily digestible bits of Scripture. There are 20 different ones for you to sit down and read. And we'd love it if you take a journal. And, say, and we have journals available for you too. But we'd love if you sit down with your Bible and your journal. And, and soap simply stands for Scripture. Read the Scripture, just a few verses. O is observation. Write down what you observe. Hey, this is what I see taking place. This is what's happening. This is what jumps out at me. A is application. How does it apply to my life? What does this mean to me? What is God saying to me through this? And then prayer. It's just simply pray. God, I, I recognize this. You've shown me this. And God, would you help me to live this way? Would you help me to do this? Or maybe it's God, I recognize I'm not living in this way. So would you forgive me for that? Would you help me to do what I haven't been able to do to this point? And just a, a simple little prayer. But it's all intended just simply to help get the word of God in you, help you engage with the word and spend time with it. Why? Because when you do that, it'll give you certainty. It'll strengthen you. It'll give you a foundation. It will help you to have certainty. And, and, and so Luke says, I've written this, Theophilus, so you can have certainty. And as we look at this, he's saying, I wrote the whole thing, this entire book of Luke, this letter at the time it was, but I've written this whole thing so that you might have certainty. Every chapter, every verse, every passage has the same intent. So that you can have certainty. Which, which includes the Christmas story, by the way. Luke chapter 2 was written so that you and I can have certainty. That there may be some who come in today or maybe some who are joining us online. And as you think about the Christmas story, you, you know it. You know the narrative. But you're really not sure about it. You're not sure, you know, did, did this stuff really happen? Did Jesus really come? Was Jesus really God incarnate? Did, did he, or is he really who he said that he was? And, and, and Luke writes what he does here in Luke chapter 2 because he wants to give you some certainties. The, the first one is this, is Luke wants you to be certain that Jesus really did come. He, he really came. In fact, look at Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Luke writes, now, now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all the people were on their way to register for the census, each to his own city. Now Joseph also went up from Galilee to the city of Nazareth, to Judea, uh, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was pregnant, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in claws, and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. So Luke writes this because he's saying, I want you to be certain that this really happened. 
I, I want you to be certain that Jesus really did come. I want you to be certain that he really was born in a little town called Bethlehem. That, that this isn't just a cute little children's song that we sing around Christmas, you know, that he was wrapped in swaddling claws and laid in a manger. I want you to know that this really did happen. And, 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 and I'm aware of the fact that in this day that we live in, in this culture that we live in, there are, there are some who may try to convince you that it's a great story, but that's all it is. It's just a story. It's, a, it's kind of a, a fable. But what Luke says here is, no, this really did happen. A few years ago, there was an article in Forbes magazine. that, And, and in this article, it, it called the Christmas story found here in Luke simply an enduring Christmas legend. In fact, the writer in this article said that the story, this story here was written so long after any of these events occurred, if they really did occur, is what he said. End of story. And so there are people in this world that we live in and in this culture that we're surrounded by and that's really how they view this story. It's just a, it's a, it's a story that we tell at Christmas time, kind of like um, you know any other story that we tell at Christmas time. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, you know, it's that kind of a story. It, it, it's just a legend that Jesus didn't really come, and I mean, and and was he really a real person? And yet Luke says, "Hey, listen." I've investigated this whole thing. I, I, I wasn't just buying into a story for the sake of a good story. He said, I investigated it all, and I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is true because I talked to a bunch of people who saw him, who walked with him, who talked with him, who touched him, who touched the risen Savior, who saw the scars in his hands and his feet, who watched him as he ascended up into heaven. I talked to them, and they collaborated the story, and I am convinced that it is true. And Theophilus, I want you to be convinced that it's true as well. And I would just say to you this morning that even though there are those who may try to cast doubt on whether Jesus was even a real person, the reality is, is there is not one credible historian, religious or secular, who, who don't believe that Jesus was a real person, that don't believe that Jesus came. Even those who, who may not believe in the divinity of Jesus say, hey, there, there is no doubt that there really was a Jewish rabbi by the name of Jesus who really was born in this little town of Bethlehem, who, who there, there were all kinds of people during his lifetime that really believed that he was the Messiah, and, and he shook things up so much that the Romans really did wind up crucifying him. Even secular historians will tell you that. And, and so Luke writes this so that you can have confidence, that you could be certain that Mary and Joseph really did travel on a donkey to, to, to Bethlehem. That, that there was, when they got there, no room for them to stay. And so Jesus was born where they keep the animals, and he was wrapped in claws, and he was laid in a manger. And, and Luke says, that you can be certain of. Not, not only that, Luke adds to that, he says... That, that you can also be certain of this, and this is really important, that not only did Jesus come, did he exist, but you can be certain that Jesus is God. He really is God. 
Go back to Luke chapter 2. It says, in the, the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly, suddenly stood near them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And in verse 10 it says, and so the angel said to them, now I want to pause right here for just a moment, because one of the first marks in Luke's gospel that gives us the certainty that Jesus is indeed God is by who announced his coming. It's where the announcement came from. It's the fact that, that the announcement of Jesus' birth came directly from the mouthpiece of heaven. It was announced by angels. The, the angel gave the announcement. The angel earlier came to Mary and announced that you're going to be having a baby. You're going to have this amazing conception, this, this immaculate conception of virgin birth that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to become pregnant and you're going to give birth to a baby. It was the angel that came to Joseph. We talked about this last week. Man, this would be a hard story to swallow of, of Mary. Uh, they, they, they haven't been together yet. Mary says, hey, I'm pregnant, and God did it. And, and Joseph struggled with that, as anybody would. But the angel came in a dream and announced that, hey, this is true. And you're going to name him Jesus. It was the angels, and we'll see here in just a moment, that the angels filled the sky to announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. You see, the way that the birth of Jesus is revealed points directly to who he is. This is heaven's announcement, not earth's. It, 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 it's, it's not the disciples' announcement. It's not the priest's announcement. It's not the church's announcement. It came directly from the throne room of heaven. And because the birth of Jesus was announced in, in such a supernatural way, it speaks directly to he was a supernatural individual. That, that he is the supernatural king of creation. And so the angel said to these shepherds, he said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This, this title that Luke assigns to Jesus is another of the ways that Luke is bringing certainty to the fact that Jesus is indeed God. Luke says... That, that he is Christ the Lord. Christos Kairos. Christ. That, 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 this may come as a surprise, but Christ was not Jesus' last name. It was a, it was a title. And, and, and this title of Christ that was assigned to Jesus, it, it's a word that actually means God's anointed Messiah. And so the angel is announcing that Jesus is the one. He's the long-awaited, anointed deliverer that has been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, if you read through the Old Testament, page after page, God promises over and over and over again that the time is coming when he will send his deliverer. And through history, there are all kinds of deliverers or types of deliverers that God raises up. In fact, as you read through Exodus, Moses is a, is a type of deliverer. 
The, the various judges, as you read through the book of Judges, like judges like Gideon and uh, Deborah and Samson, God uses them for a specific purpose and a specific time in the history of Israel to be a kind of deliverer. But what Luke is making crystal clear here is that he's saying that, that Jesus is coming not just to be another one of many deliverers in the history of Israel. He, he's not going to be a, a, a deliverer of the kind like Gideon and Deborah and Samson. He's saying that Jesus came not to be a deliverer, but he came to be the deliverer. He's the deliverer. He came to, to be a fulfillment of, of all of the promises that God has made through the prophets in Scripture. And, and so what Luke is saying here is he's saying, guys, Jesus is it. He is the one. In fact, what you're witnessing here is you're witnessing what God has promised to do all along. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of God to deliver his people. But yeah, you can clap for that anytime you want. But, but I also want you to notice that the angels don't just call him Christ. If they just called him Christ, that wouldn't fully describe or signal his true identity. They, they called him Christ the Lord. To these shepherds standing on the outskirts of, of Bethlehem in the middle of the night, they would have known immediately what the angels were talking about when, when they called him Christ the Lord, they would have known that they were saying, this isn't, again, not a deliverer, it's the deliverer. And who he is, is he is God Almighty. What, what they were saying was mind-blowing. They're saying this baby, that God has come as a baby. He has come, and the reason he's come is for you. He's not just any deliverer. He is God himself wrapped in humanity, fully human, fully divine. This is who the angels are saying Jesus is. That God has come. See, Luke wants us to be certain about that. So much so that in, 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 in chapter 1 and chapter 2, if you read through both of those chapters... 26 times Luke refers to Jesus as Lord. 26 times in two chapters, which means that he is referring to Jesus as God. And, 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 and this is not just, as, just Luke's witness. This is the collective witness of the entire New Testament. In, in fact, 747 times in the New Testament... Jesus is referred to as God. It's almost like they want us to be certain of that. Make no mistake about it. You need to know who Jesus is. He has come as Emmanuel, God with us. God wrapped in humanity. And I realize that as I say that, there may be some here this morning, maybe some who are joining us online, and you... you, you you know, we, we talk about Christmas, and we think about Christmas, and it may not be that you're uncertain that Jesus is God. You're just not really sure as to what does that mean for you. What, what does it mean to me personally? 
But what does it mean when my world seems to be falling apart? What does it mean when my world gets shaken? What does it mean when my relationships get shaken? What does it mean when my home life is shaken? What does it mean when my health is shaken? What does Jesus being God mean to me when my world gets shaken? There's so much uncertainty around you. And you wonder, how is this going to impact my life? How is it even going to help me? In this moment, make it through. That, that, that when God sent Jesus, the Son of God, we need to understand he sent him into a very broken world. He sent him in to a broken world for a specific purpose, to rescue the world, to save the world. God came into a shaken, broken, messed up world, not to condemn it, not to pile on, but to save it. He came to rescue humanity. He entered right into the, the shakenness. He entered in right into the uncertainty, into a world that had no hope. And he came to do the impossible. He came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. I just want to remind you this morning that this little baby that was born in a manger, that he is still Christ the Lord. And he can still do the impossible. He can still do for you what you can't do for yourself. He still has come to enter in, not, not just into the darkness, but he came to enter into your darkness. He, he didn't just come to enter into the impossible situation. He came to enter into your impossible situation. He came as Christ the Lord for you and for me. And we can be certain because of that that he is God. He is more than able to meet our needs. Last one. You not only can be certain that Jesus came, and you can be certain that Jesus is God, but here's the best news of all, is that you can be certain that Jesus saves. He saves. Go back to, to verse 11. The angel says, For today in the city of David... There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And he says, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of, heavenly, of the heavenly army of angels praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst people with whom he is pleased. What, what, what are these angels announcing? They're announcing the reality that God has sent to us a Savior. It's, it's the same announcement that Zechariah gives. Uh, 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 he, he, when he, Zechariah gives this announcement in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah says that God has sent us a what? A mighty Savior. Now, now I don't know about you, but I am so grateful that when God sent Jesus... He sent somebody who actually has the power to save. I, I, I thought we'd be really more happy about that. He sent somebody who possesses the power to save. That he is mighty to save. Jesus came as a savior. Why? Because we needed saved. He came as a rescuer. Why? Because we needed rescue. I need, I need rescued. I need saved. You need saved. 
When the angel came to Joseph and, and told him Mary is going to have a baby, I want you to look at what he said. He said, and she, Mary, will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. See, 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 the good news of Christmas is that Jesus, God incarnate, entered into humanity. Not, not just to show us what God is like, although he did that, but he came to actually do something about our human condition. He recognized our need, that we needed a Savior, and he came to us to be that. God sent a Savior. And he came, yes, he was absolutely, 100%. He came to save you from your sin. That's why he came. But here's what I want you to understand this morning, that salvation is more than that. Yes, it begins there. He came to save us 100% from our sins, but that's just the beginning of what he wants to do in our lives. You see, when a person meets Jesus... When they enter into a relationship with Jesus, not only does he forgive their sins, but, but they enter into this relationship that before Jesus was actually impossible to have. You, you see, sin separates us from God. And, and sin not only separates us from God, but sin makes it impossible for us to walk with God day in and day out. But, but once Jesus comes into our lives and forgives us of our sins, he wants to take care of our sins once and for all. He, he, wants, the, he wants to make room, once he removes our sin, that makes room for the Holy Spirit to enter in and, and to begin to change us from the inside out. See, part of salvation, we talk about salvation, it's kind of, it's kind of like this. We have been saved... We are being saved, and one day we will be saved. We have been saved. Our sins have been forgiven. We are being saved. Our lives are being transformed. We're being conformed into his likeness. More and more and more by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're becoming more and more like Jesus, and one day we'll fully be saved when we enter into eternity and we spend eternity with him. Jesus came to do the impossible for us, to walk with God day in and day out, to take care of our sin, to make room for the Holy Spirit to live inside us, to begin to change us from the inside out and allow us to experience God's power and God's presence and God's purpose for our lives. See, some of us, you know, I, I, I would guess, I'm not going to make you raise your hands or or uh, turn to, I was going to have you guys turn uh, to your neighbor and say, I hate turning to my neighbor and saying something, but I'm not going to have you do that. No. <laughs> no, uh, but um, if I were to ask anybody here, anybody like to see a miracle? I would say all of us would go, yeah, that'd be really cool to see a miracle. Can I just tell you, I just told you about the greatest miracle that you could ever see. The fact that God could take our sin. All of the things that we have done in our lives that offend him and hurt us and hurt other people that we can't fix for ourselves, that he could take our sin and through Jesus nail it to a cross 
And that God himself would come and would pay a debt for us that we could not pay. And then he would come in and he would actually, when we were yet dirty in our sin, he would wash us and make us clean and make us white as snow. That we could be born again, that we could have a brand new life. That it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter how big your failures are, how bad you've blown it, how much you've messed up. That he can come in and he can wipe the slate clean. You can become a brand new person and he can begin to transform your life and make you into what you never even imagined that you could be. Man, you talk about a miracle. It's the greatest miracle that could ever take place. He doesn't just want to save us. It's not just fire insurance where, you know, he's saving us so one day we can spend eternity in heaven with us, although that's massive. What he's doing is he's saving us. Why? Because he wants to live in us and dwell with us. He doesn't want to be separated from us. The whole reason he came is because he really likes you and wants to hang out with you. Doesn't want there to be separation between you and him. So anything, I love it when we sing that song about how, what is it that there's, there's no, no wall he won't kick down, no lie he won't tear down. There's nothing that he would not do in order to have relationship with you. That's the miracle. Is that God came in Jesus to be with us and save us. And the way that he does that is written so beautifully. Paul writes in in 2 Corinthians that God actually made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Why? So that we could become the righteousness of God. This is incredible. That the one who never sinned. Jesus was tempted in every single way that we were. And yet he committed no sin. Lived a perfect life. And he who knew no sin not only took our sin upon us, it says that he actually became that sin. Nailed it to the cross. And in that moment, what he did was he, he not only took our sin upon himself, he said, oh, I'm going to do even better than that. I'm going to take my perfect standing. I'm going to take my perfect record. I'm going to take my sinlessness, and I'm going to take my righteousness, and I'm going to put it on you so that every time God looks at you, what he sees is me. And you talk about a miracle. You talk about salvation, it's it's amazing. That is called the great exchange and that God, he, he traded your sin for his perfection. He took his perfect, spotless record and he credited it to us. And so this morning, for anybody who has received Jesus, when God looks at you, what he sees is Jesus. That's amazing, mind blowing. There are some in this room, and the truth is, and Brian, I'm going to ask you to come and help me as we wrap things up. The, the truth is that you have never accepted or received this incredible gift of salvation. Instead, maybe you've never even thought about this before, but really what you're trying to do is you're just trying to stand on your own. On your own righteousness, your own efforts, your own power. You know know what the Bible says about that? It says that, that our righteousness, in other words, our best efforts, our best um, behaviors, our best acts really are 
like nothing more than filthy rags. The best that we can do, it's like garbage. That's what it says. They're, they're worthless. See, this is why we need a Savior. The, the only way that a person experiences the power of God, not only to forgive their sin, to change, but to change their life, to give them a new life, to give them a new purpose, to give them new peace, to give them new power, is through relationship with Jesus. And so the question I have for you this morning, it's really a simple one, do you have that? Have you entered into a relationship with Jesus? If not, why not? Why not, why not do it today? I want you to know, Jesus came for you. Christmas is about how much he loves you. That the God of the universe left the splendor of heaven, entered into the darkness, entered into the brokenness, entered into the filth. He, he, he scholars say it like this, he condescended himself, he lowered himself. Why? Because that's how much he loves you. And, and he came, he said, I, I want to give for you this incredible gift, one that, that you could never earn on your own, you could never measure up, you could never be good enough. But what I want to do is I want to give it to you for free. You don't have to earn it. All you got to do is accept it. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to just try harder. You don't have to, you know, suck it up and be better. You just got to receive me. You, you just got to confess that, you know what, I can't do it on my own. I've blown it. I've tried. And I need a Savior. And Jesus says, if you'll receive me, then I'll come in and I'll dwell in you. And I'll not only save you, I'll keep saving you. And eventually there'll be a day when you enter into eternity and you will finally be saved. And he wants you to have that today. So I want to invite you this morning to just take a moment, close your eyes and bow your head. And this is a time where nobody looking around. And maybe you're here and you've never received the free gift of salvation. And you'd like to do that today. I want to invite you, if you, you would like to pray this prayer with me, I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I just want to, want to pray this prayer with you and for you. And if you would just, again, nobody looking around, but if you would just say to me by lifting your hand, say, hey, Doug, I want to be included in this prayer, then I'm going to include you in it. Just right now, if you say, I want to receive Jesus, just lift up your hand real quick. You can lift it up and put it down. Yeah, yeah, several in this place. I, I, I want to ask you, just in the quietness of your heart, to, to make this prayer your own. Pray this with me. Just, dear Jesus, today, I receive you into my life. I open my heart to you. I recognize the fact that there's nothing that I could do to earn your love. And I also recognize the fact that there's nothing that I could do to cause you not to love me. That my worst failure does not cause you to turn your back on me. That you love me even though you see me. And so today I just confess that I'm a sinner. I've blown it. I've failed. And I 
repent. I turn away from my sin. I don't want to live that life anymore. I want to walk with you. So Jesus, if you'll forgive me, I want to invite you into my heart, into my life, to be Christ the Lord, my Messiah, my Deliverer, my Almighty God. I give you permission to be that in me. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to know that he's faithful to answer that prayer. There may be some here today that this is just a great reminder of the prayer that you prayed maybe 20 years ago, maybe longer than that, that Jesus is still your deliverer. He is still with you. He still wants you to be certain of who he is. And so today we thank you for that, Jesus. And this week as we look towards next Sunday, as we get to celebrate your birth and all of its fullness, Lord, I pray you that you would prepare our hearts in the busyness that that more than likely is going to take place this week, I pray that there would be moments as we open up your word that the certainty of who you are, how much you love us, the fact that you're for us, the fact that you have a purpose and a plan for our lives, I pray that that certainty would overwhelm us and we would experience an unshakable, immovable faith. And so, Lord, we thank you today. Thank you for your gift that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And we can be certain of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, as you go.